0: Hello everybody, glad you're here, and welcome if this is your first go-round. This is the Down South IT Podcast, and my name is Clark. Come to you lovingly from the deep south, that's right, way back in the heart of Cajun country where we take two things very seriously, food and tech. And on this pod, not necessarily in that order. So today I'm going to get into CPUs and how the fight for processing supremacy is good for all of us, not to mention how we got there, who's winning, and what CPUs are and what they do. So we're gonna get into all of that a little bit later because we all know that computers have CPUs and need them to work, but we might not know exactly how they work, so we'll get into that. But first I wanna get into a little bit of housekeeping. It is a podcast, so there's always something happening in the background, that's right. And First off, I have to give you a gigantic thank you. If you can't tell, I'm bowing my head right now, but thank you, thank you, thank you. The podcast now has over 5,000 streams and I could not have done that without you listening, so thank you. Huge shout out to all of you for helping me get to that point. It is a really big milestone and I do appreciate it and I want to get to the next 5,000, so hope that sounds like a plan because we're on our way and we're getting there, so Next, I do want to mention the sleeper computer build that I'm going to be doing. It's going to be a video, but I do have parts on order right now. And most of that should come in this week, the same week that the podcast will come out. But unfortunately, the CPU, of course, is on back order. So don't you love when that happens? Of course you do. But I sure as hell don't. So I'm going to be annoyed until it actually ships but there's not much I can do about that right now. So I just have to kind of wait it out and until everything ships and then we'll go from there. So hopefully it won't be too long, but as soon as I get all the parts, I will get that video up and done. That way we can, you can go ahead and get to that. It should be up on the YouTube page as soon as I get done. Now, lastly, I do have a giveaway going right now, if you hadn't seen the Facebook page. So if you haven't, Go ahead, head over to the website, DownSouthITPodcast.com. There should be a little pop-up that comes up on the right-hand side with a link to the giveaway page, but if you're impatient like I am, you can head straight to the site, DownSouthITPodcast.com forward slash giveaway, and it'll take you straight there. So this time, I'm actually giving away a full Raspberry Pi setup, and all you're going to need to do is plug it in and go. So for this one, you're going to get the Pi itself. It's going to be a Raspberry Pi 3B Plus, an acrylic case with the fan on it to keep it cool and help it keep protected. It'll come with a 64 gig SD card with Raspbian already flashed on it. So you won't even have to worry about that. Along with that, you get the power supply, six foot HDMI cable and a wireless keyboard with built in mouse trackpad. So I just wanted this to be super easy. Just plug it in plug the HDMI cable right into your TV or monitor or whatever you happen to have. And you can be up and surfing the web in probably less than five minutes. So it really couldn't be much easier than that. And of course, with the 64 gigs of space, you really, if you wanted to, could use this as a replacement desktop. If you wanted to just surf the web and check email and a few things like that. And it'll also give you a little bit of the flavor of Linux if you haven't used it before. So there are a lot of things that you can do with one of these little beauties. You can head over to the website and put your entries in, get it in now. You can also look at some of the build guides that I have there for the Raspberry Pi. That way, if you wanted to use the Pi in a way that, you know, I've shown before, either as a retro gaming console, which if you do that, you'd have to reflash the SD card, but you can do the DNS server. You can do a VPN server with it. There's so many different things you can do. And I just covered a couple of them on this podcast, but there's so many things you can do with this thing besides it being just a regular desktop that you can use as you want. So I'll be shipping this to the winner since we're still in the midst of social distancing and all of that. So as soon as the contest ends, I will, in fact, that'll be actually on April 26th. I forgot to mention that. So that's going to be on a Sunday. It's going to end at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'll be announcing the winner 7 p.m. that same night. So check your emails, check Facebook, different things, you know, whatever you happen to have, because if you have a Facebook page, I'll probably contact you on there. If not, it'll be on, it'll be on through email for sure. So check your emails around seven o'clock Sunday night. And that way you'll be able to see if you won. And I'm, Got a bunch of entries already, so please get all your entries in, you know, before six o'clock on the 26th. You can enter as many times as you want. The more you do, the better your chance to win. So good luck to everybody. And like I said, I'll be shipping it out to the winner so you won't have to do anything. You know, I'm probably going to ship it either FedEx or UPS. I hadn't decided yet, but either way, you'll get it. And that way, all you got to do is plug it up and go. So good luck to everybody. Get your entries in and we'll announce the winner at 7 o'clock on the 26th. So the great CPU war. Well we've had CPUs that did basically the same functions as the ones that we have today going all the way back to the 50s. The technology was a lot different back then obviously and they only used resistors and vacuum tubes and a few other things but the idea was the same. But if you fast forward a little bit to the beginning of the 1970s that's where transistors started and that would become the norm for cpus or central processing units this is where we begin because that's when intel launched the first two cpus that we can trace directly back to where we are today the first one was the model 4004 the second was the model 8080 the first one was in 1973 second in 1974 And these were very first, what you would actually call microprocessors. So they were the genesis for the modern CPU. And again, the idea was good and the output was a lot slower than we have now, but it was the same calculations that they achieved. And these processors worked in cycles, just like the modern ones that we have now. And this is the steps in each cycle. First, you have a fetch, which the CPU will retrieve instructions from the program that's open, so it knows what needs to be done and how to do it. Since usually the program's running when this happens, that usually the instructions are fetched from the RAM, the random access memory. Next is the decode. This is the function that basically tells the CPU where the calculation is gonna be sent. So it'll either be sent back to the RAM so the program can access it or to the hard drive to save for later. It may be put into a a different memory close to the CPU uh, called a cache that way that the CPU has access to it much faster if they need it again, but it just depends on what the program wants it to do and where it wants it to send. That way it knows where to go with it. So that's the decode function. The third is actually the execute. And this is where the CPU does its thing. It'll calculate whatever the instruction said to do it and send the results where it was supposed to. So, and if you take that as a grain of salt, my dad growing up always used to say that computers were high speed idiots. You know, whatever you put in, that's what you got out. So, and this is basically what it is. Now, depending on the program, this could either be one cycle or it could be several cycles. But each cycle is a clock pulse or a clock cycle. And the clock cycle or the clock speed is where we get the number for how fast a CPU actually is. So how many cycles of fetch, decode, and execute can a CPU perform in one second? So that's where we get the CPU speed, like your you know, 1.2 gigahertz, 3.4 gigahertz, whatever it is. It can do 3.4 million cycles per second. Now, the older ones were only like 80 megahertz, which was 80,000, you know, cycles per second. So whenever consumer PCs and everything started coming out, they were 80 megahertz. They were 133 megahertz. You could boost them to like 140, give or take, that I remember. It had the little boost button on the side. But back in the early days, there was really only one CPU and it did everything. But as the technology got better, things got smaller. Companies like Intel were able to take full CPUs and put two of them on a single chip. And they were able to interconnect them so that they could work together. Or even, you know, sometimes they would work separately depending on the job. And this actually started the moniker of dual core. Or, and if you go four is quad core, eight is octa cores, you know, that kind of thing. So each CPU the logical CPU was called a core. And once you started getting into different cores and different speeds that they were able to achieve, one thing was lurking in the background and that was actually voltage. The more processing that a CPU does, the more power it needs, which means the more heat that it gives off. So as CPUs became a lot more power hungry in the late 70s and into the 80s, they had to find ways to cool them off. So manufacturers came up with a solution that we still, still see a lot today, and that's an actual cooling fan with a block on it. It's basically just an aluminum block with fins cut in it that'll add surface area, and there's a fan on top blowing down on it to dissipate the heat. And that heat then goes up into the CPU case and is blown out by an exhaust fan. Most modern CPU cases, you know, computer cases, they use this exact same design. Now granted a lot a lot of times if you have a higher performance computer, you have a lot more fans. But the idea of using cooler air from the outside of the case, blowing it through the case to cool off the components has been around since the 70s and early 80s. Now most of the time this actually is very efficient. Most of the fans and different cooling solutions that they have work just fine unless you're trying to do something very crazy with your CPU. (laughs) At At that point, that's when the manufacturers saw the need to let consumers know how much wattage their beloved CPUs were actually using. Not to mention how much heat they would actually give off so you knew how to be able to keep it cool. So if you're out in the wild and you see, you know, a box for a new processor, if you're in the market or anything like that, the number of wattage, the number of Watts on the box is an indicator of the heat that the CPU will be putting out during max operation. So they actually call that the TDP or the thermal design power. And the way that a company measures their TDP rating is kind of murky, at least in the sense between AMD and Intel, but I'll try to break it down for you. Most companies or at least Intel and AMD anyway, they have built-in fail safes on all our processors. If they get too hot, they're gonna slow themselves down on purpose to try and cool themselves off. And it's called thermal throttling. So if they get too hot, they're gonna throttle themselves down. Now, this is where it kind of gets fuzzy. In 2006, Intel started rating their CPUs with wattage that wasn't really the max or the point where they would thermally throttle. So if you looked at the wattage on an older Intel chip, the heat that it put out the wattage would actually be more than what they were saying uh intel would actually measure theirs at 100 percent usage they had some kind of weird formula that they used for a long time but it wasn't at their upper limit so the rating would always run low but they said that say they said that a cpu was a 75 watt cpu that was their base but depending on how it was used it may actually draw upwards of 100 watts, which could overwhelm some of the cooling fans you know, that they had at the time. AMD, on the other hand, was they were a lot more straightforward and have been since the start. Their TDP rating has always been at the point that the CT, CPU would actually throttle. So you always knew what you would get out of the chip from the get-go. Intel actually started using their third their throttling limit as the TDP recently mostly because they were getting a lot of pushback from consumers and it was really confusing trying to differentiate their numbers from AMD and just trying to get a correct cooling solution for one of their chips was kind of difficult so but the the TDP numbers really aren't the only thing that Intel and AMD have in their arsenal Ooh no 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 This rivalry is basically the main focus of the pod today, and that's kind of what the CPU war that's going on with both of these companies. So first, I want to kind of give you a little bit of background on both. AMD was founded in 1969, and in 1981, they actually signed a 10-year tech exchange contract with Intel. Each company would earn the right to manufacture CPUs, memory, and whatever other technology that the other company developed, and they would produce it as a sourcing partner. By 1991, when that contract ended, AMD started designing their own chips and began to compete with Intel directly for the CPU market share. In 2006, AMD acquired ATI, a graphics processor manufacturer. And with that, they began to create their own graphics processors, GPUs, or video cards. You know, it's all the same. And in 2014, AMD would officially split into two divisions. One focusing on CPUs, the other on GPUs. And they would have some teams that would collaborate for integrated GPU chips and SOC or system-on-a-chip things that we see in cell phones. Now, Intel was founded in 1968 under the name of NM Electronics. But before the end of the first month that they were actually incorporated, they changed the name to Integrated Electronics and later shortened that to Intel. Now unfortunately for them the name Intel was already trademarked by a hotel chain so they had to buy the rights from the hotel chain. So they began their life making semiconductors and dynamic RAM or dynamic random access memory chips and they had a few other players getting into the DRAM market from Japan. So profits started to dwindle at that point. But At that same time, IBM started to produce and grow their personal computer uh, market. And in part, Intel CPUs were used in the IBM computers. So Intel started to shift their focus to microprocessors in 1983. By the end of the 80s, Intel was supplying microprocessors to not only IBM, but IBM's competitors. So to separate themselves from the computer manufacturers, they actually started the intel inside marketing idea and by the end of the 90s their pentium processors were household names so from there the cpu market actually started to slow down a lot between 2000 and 2005 and in 2005 intel reorganized into different divisions that would focus on cpus but in different platforms so they would have a division for consumer hardware one for servers one for digital health one for mobility you know they would make different chipsets for they make different chipsets for a lot of things to be honest they they do CPUs they do network cards they have chips for switches mobile devices flash memory graphics processors intel makes a lot of different stuff okay they make plenty but all that being said that brings us to where things get fun because back in 2014 amd introduced the new zen architecture of their chips and with that, they introduced what they called the chiplet, and it uses more cores, but smaller cores with some integrated memory, along with a main input output module, all on the same chip. Now, the idea was that not only can you put more cores into a chip since they were smaller, but if you manufacture smaller cores, you get more good ones on each wafer of silicon which is very very expensive to produce so if you can get more good chips out of each wafer then you have a higher yield so you get a better price so other than the price you get an enhanced speed to go along with that so the newer cores are actually they're smaller they're faster and being that all a lot of the memory and a lot of other functions that go along with the cpu that were normally outside of the the cpu itself they normally had their own chips outside of the the actual cpu are all embedded within it now that gave you a lot more speed better performance not only between the cores but but for the whole cpu overall and the best part is the design is actually scalable So that chiplet design was first introduced with the Rome server chips that AMD branded. Basically, they they rebranded it uh, the last couple of years as their EPIC lineup, and that was brought to the consumer market with the Ryzen chips that AMD's been bringing out the last couple of years. Now Intel's been busy trying to compete with this new design, but they're sticking to the older layout of the larger CPU cores, and the separate chipsets and different things that they have you know with their motherboards so the CPUs that Intel has been making the last few years they have gotten faster they've gotten a lot faster but because the design is an older older design that they're pretty much at the end of the rope as far as that design goes they can only do so much with it but being that AMD has their design that's scalable, that's why Intel's kind of stagnant right now. Their chips, granted, will beat AMD in single core performance. And they've been doing that for a while now. I mean, Intel's been beating AMD for a long time. But when you look at performance overall, the CPU as a whole, then AMD is not only really caught up to Intel, but in a lot of ways, they left them in the dust. I mean, they got some tests that I've seen. It's just, it's bad. So it's gotten to the point that if you have a single task to complete, like if you just do gaming or, you know, just very light things, Intel has the upper hand. They have faster single thread performance. You know, their cores are a lot better at handling single functions. But if you do any kind of real work on your computer, like editing photos, editing video, database work, you know, even some games are run better on Ryzen CPUs. But if you do just about anything other than gaming, you need to look at a Ryzen CPU if you're trying to go for another computer, because that's going to be your best bet. And granted, AMD might not beat Intel and in gaming performance, but they put up enough of a fight to make it really close. Now, granted, I will admit I've been a fan of AMD for a long time. And the fact that they were able to get this kind of performance out of these new CPUs is awesome. The, In fact, the computer recording this podcast right now has a Ryzen 3600 under the hood. And I have no reason to even think about Intel because of what I do. That, my friends, is the big CPU war that we have going on right now. On top of that, it gets even better in the future because AMD is about to launch their new 4000 series mobile processors for laptops and tablets and their 35 watt tdp cpus that they have in some of the newer laptops are flat out beating the performance of some of the new intel desktop processors so it's only going to get that much crazier in the next couple of years Until Intel decides they want to get off of that old stale architecture, it's going to be AMD all day long for the next couple of years. And the best part is with this huge fight that they got going on, us as consumers, we get to reap the benefits. Because as long as AMD keeps doing what they're doing and pushing prices down, they're going to force Intel to either innovate or drop their prices, which makes things oh so much more interesting so yeah it's going to be fun the next couple of years you guys and if you're in the market for a new computer once all this coronavirus stuff you know passes over and we get all of this stuff straight it's going to be a very very interesting time once everything gets back on its feet once again I want to do take a couple of seconds to thank you for all of the streams you guys I wouldn't have been able to do this without y'all listening so thank you for Listening and trusting me and being with me every couple of weeks whenever I put out a new episode, I really do appreciate the fact that y'all are listening. It, it means a lot to me. It really does. So thank you again. As I like to end every podcast, technology can replace the work of many people, but it can never replace the work of one extraordinary person. So go out and be extraordinary today. Thank you all for listening. I love you. I'm going to be here for another 5,000 streams and beyond. So don't you worry. We're going to have a whole lot of fun getting there too. So y'all enjoy. Have a great day. I'll see y'all next time right here on the Down South IT Podcast. Later.